Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and healthcare with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. New York Governor Kathy Hochul presented a $227 billion budget plan this week that includes more money for schools and public transit and raises taxes on cigarettes. As the Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports, the Democrat also highlighted public safety, including another set of revisions to the state's controversial bail laws. The governor's plan includes a 10 percent increase in school aid, finally fulfilling a nearly 20-year-old court order that said more money needs to be invested in the state's poorest schools. Health care spending would be increased by about 8 percent, with $1 billion used for more psychiatric beds and residential mental health treatment facilities. The governor is able to add the money because of larger-than-expected tax collections and funds remaining from the federal pandemic relief programs. That's led to an over 8 billion dollar budget surplus. We set the table for what should be one of the most prosperous times in our state's history. But if New Yorkers don't feel safe, they can't afford to buy a home, they can't pay their rent, the cost of everything keeps rising, then nothing we've done will make a difference. To that end, Hochul is proposing that 800,000 new housing units be built in the state over the next five years, financed mostly by private developers, but 100,000 units of affordable housing would be paid for by the state. Hochul wants to hold the line on taxes. No new broad-based taxes are proposed, but she wants to extend a temporary corporate tax surcharge. And she'd add a payroll tax surcharge for businesses in the region served by the downstate MTA to help stem pandemic-related losses for the transit agency. Hochul also wants to raise taxes on a pack of cigarettes by a dollar to $5.25. The governor also detailed a public safety plan. It includes $337 million to fight a surge in gun-related violence and provides $80 million to district attorneys to hire more prosecutors and to better follow recent statutes that require them to turn over evidence to defendants in a more timely manner. She also wants to revise the state's controversial bail reform laws to allow judges more discretion to set bail when people are charged with serious crimes. Hochul portrays the changes as an attempt to clear up confusion caused by previous changes to the laws that she says now conflict with each other. But judges are telling us that they don't have the clarity that they need to have when someone's before them and meets the standards of being bail eligible in particular, you know, what criteria they use to determine whether or not to impose bail or not. Democrats who lead the state legislature have been resistant to making more changes to bail reform. Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty was noncommittal about the new proposal, but he says he wants to look at all of the factors affecting crime and public safety. Can we just stop focusing so much on bail and for, for, for once can we really start to concentrate on the stuff that really drives crime? 
Hochul held up the budget for nine days last year to win revisions. She says she won't comment on her strategies for getting an agreement this year. The governor is also proposing that public colleges and universities be allowed to raise tuition at a rate of up to 3 percent a year for colleges and 6 percent for universities. Speaker Hasty says he doesn't see that proposal flying with members of his Democratic conference. Tuition increase, that's a difficult one that I think is going to be tough for the conference. So we may, if we don't want the tuition to be raised on the students, um, we're going to have to figure out a way to pay for it. The budget address comes at a time of increased tension between Hochul and the Democrats in the legislature. A dispute between the governor and the Senate over her choice of chief judge remains unresolved. Senate leader Andrea Stork-Cousins did not comment publicly after the budget address, but she said previously that she has a good relationship with the governor and does not expect any hard feelings from the standoff over the chief judge selection to affect budget talks. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Upstate lawmakers are reacting to the $227 billion budget proposal New York Governor Kathy Hochul delivered this week. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas with more. Assemblymember Sarahana Shrestha, a Democrat representing the 103rd District, says the governor's plan to expand the role of the New York Power Authority includes several core aspects of the Build Public Renewables Act, a bill she co-sponsored. But... She says it leaves out critical parts without which the bill's transformative impact cannot be achieved. There are a lot of ideas presented in the budget that are in the right direction, so I'm happy to be having uh, these conversations this year. The problem is that it's too late to go just halfway for a lot of things. One example is she did include um, sort of elements of the Build Public Renewables Act, which is a bill that I've been working on a lot, you know, way before I ran for office. Uh, But it doesn't go all the way, which means that it won't have the impact that the bill is intended for. Um, So we're hoping to work with her on making sure all of the provisions of the bill are included so that it can be a success. 41st District Democratic State Senator Michelle Hinchy says she sees positive things in the budget, including more investment in clean water and clean water infrastructure, fully funding schools, universal pre-K and universal child care. She believes there's definitely a lot more that could be added to the budget. And, you know, I was really disappointed to see that our proposal to fund healthy school meals wasn't included in the budget. You know, it's a no-brainer to make sure that every student has two meals while in school. Oftentimes, it's the only time that a child may eat during the day. And right now in our bigger cities, children have that luxury. They have uh, healthy meals in their schools. Uh, We don't have that outside of the city. And in my district alone, in the 41st, it would impact nearly 17,000 students to get free school meals if we could fund the Healthy School Meals Program. Republican Mary Beth Walsh represents the 112th Assembly District. She's looking ahead to the upcoming budget hearing process. So I'll be interested to, you know, go through the budget hearings and kind of put some meat on the proposals that she's laid out because I I listened to her talk yesterday and of course it came with a big booklet that I haven't gotten completely through yet um, to kind of get a better idea of what she's saying. But I thought I thought it was kind of overall kind of vague, you know, what she had laid out. Now we have to kind of get down to the brass tacks of really getting in and seeing what the proposals are going to be and for both from a policy side and then also from a from a financial side. So that's what the next, you know, couple of weeks are going to be all about. 109th District Assembly member Pat Fahey agrees there's a lot of work ahead and it begins with 
digging into the details of fellow Democrat Hochul's proposals. Very pleased to see that she's putting combating gun violence at the top of her list, as well as doing what we need to do to invest in mental health uh, reforms and, and programs that are so needed across the spectrum, as well as housing. Uh, minimum wage and a host of uh, clean energy and climate action proposals. All of that I find is good news. Uh, in addition, as the new higher education chair, still digging into the details there, but we want to make sure that we're going to do what we need to do for higher education, particularly SUNY and CUNY schools, with regard to operating aid for our schools as well as capital investments to keep our campuses competitive and to make sure that we have research facilities for the 21st century. So lots of work ahead and many missing pieces there, but we're, we're, um, uh, we're off to the races. 44th District Republican Senator Jim Tedisco said in an email he supports funding for schools, but says higher taxes will continue to drive out residents. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Chartalk spoke with Blair Horner this week. He's the executive director of the New York Public Interest Research Group, or NYPIRG. Alan started by asking Blair for his reaction to the governor's budget proposal. Well, I mean, you know, in some ways it's an easy budget for the governor in the sense that the state has a big surplus. Uh, and uh, so it's, you know, it's not the kind of budget where there's a sort of slash and burn element to it. Uh, that being said, the governor's plan anticipates revenue shortfalls in the next few years as the federal COVID funds dry up in New York. And so, you know, of course, those are projections. You never know. But I think a lot of what the governor was doing in her $227 billion budget this uh, proposal uh, is to see how much of the money she could um, squirrel away for reserves uh, and to, if she could, come up with new revenue sources that are, re- are recurring so that she has more dough uh, as she heads to the end of her first full term. So what kind of marks is she getting? Do people think she's doing well, a good job? What's the deal? Well, I mean, the, the polling has pretty good numbers for her. I mean, in the most recent Siena poll had her, you know, in the high 50s, mid to high 50s in terms of public approval, and I think that that is viewed by the administration as um, vindication of her efforts. Uh, there's always tension between the executive and legislative branches. It doesn't matter, you know, if they're all one political party or not. Uh, we've seen it in the past where Republicans fight with Republicans and Democrats fight with Democrats. Uh, and so there will be a challenge to some of what the governor has proposed in her budget uh, from the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party in the legislature. And the the relationship between the executive and the legislative branches 
has become frayed, uh, most notably over the fight over the uh, the governor's proposed chief judge uh, nomination. Mm. Uh, Hector LaSalle was rejected by the state Senate committee. So, you know, it's, I, you know, I think there'll be a lot of still you know fighting that will go on because, after all, Democrats being Democrats, that's what they do. Uh, but it's a relatively easy budget because of the uh, significant budget surplus that the state has. Well, you're a fairly progressive fellow. Do you think that the progressives in the state are making ground or gaining ground or, or losing it? Well, you know, it's hard to, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure how you measure that. I mean, certainly in the legislative legislative branch, progressives have more, I think, of an impact on the state Senate side than they do on the state assembly or with the executive branch. Um, now, the executive branch being the governor, I mean, I think the attorney general would be considered a progressive by progressives. Um, so, you know, it's, I think that they are ascendant in a sense. Uh, but, uh, you know, the governor really is institutionally the most powerful player in Albany. And, uh, you know, she's an upstate, more moderate Democrat. Um, but you can see it reflected in the policies. I mean, uh, earlier this month, uh, actually now uh, January, so I forgot what month I was in. Me too. Uh, the, uh, the legislature approved a constitutional amendment for the ERA and to, and to enshrine in the state constitution other rights. And that is an indication of a more progressive legislature than there would have been had it still been bipartisan as it was prior to 2019. So you were in the New York Times again, Blair. This time the issue was Governor Hochul vetoing the Grieving Families Act, arguing that Democratic lawmakers rushed passage before its impact could be fully evaluated. And this is a quote. I think it's more evidence of a tension between the legislature and Ms. Hochul, said Blair Horner. That's you, the executive director of the New York Public Interest Research Group, which had supported the bill. I mean, the veto message could have been written differently, but it wasn't. Mr. Horner, that's you also noted that versions of the bill have been in Albany for more than a decade. My guess is that if she wanted to work something out on a bill, it could have been done, you said. So can you bring us up to date on that? Well, yeah, it's, a, it's sort of a, an obscure provision of New York state law that looms large to families who have someone in their family uh, who dies due to the negligence of another person. And for most people, that never happens, so nobody ever thinks about it, thankfully. But for those families that do, um, you know, it, it matters a lot. Under New York law, which was originally written in 1847 and has not been substantially changed in 175 years, if someone is killed due to the negligence of someone else, car crash, mistake in a hospital, whatever, mm -hmm. the family is entitled to filing a lawsuit and being compensated if they win for the economic loss of that person. So if you're Alan Shartak, of course, that loss would be gigantic. If sure, you're a measly sure. Niper guy, the, the, the uh, compensation would be small. You know, So the hedge fund manager family does well, I mean, of course, in the, un, under the most tragic of circumstances, but a senior citizen who dies or a child who dies, those families do poorly, or if they're low income or sort of figure it out. Economic loss might have made sense in 1847 when people lived on farms and it was really about a male breadwinner getting killed. It doesn't make as much sense in the 21st century. And so partly it was the change to the economic loss issue to sort of broaden it to non-economic losses and also to change the definition of what's a family. The 1847 male breadwinner family is not the standard for America or New York in 2023. 
So, you know, that bill's been around. It's been kicking around for 30 years, and it's been moved out of committees and moved in different houses, and it's been an ongoing thing. Will New York modernize it? New York and Alabama were the only states that had this definition. And so finally it pops last year, and it, had, it was overwhelming bipartisan majorities. So the governor vetoes it, but she writes in the veto message, not that she has a substantive problem, which, you know, reasonable people can always have different views. She says the legislature didn't do their job. So that's just throwing gasoline on the fire after the Hector LaSalle fight. And, I, you know, I just think it makes things harder in Albany, not easier. That's Blair Horner, executive director of NYPERC, the New York Public Interest Research Group, speaking with Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Chartong. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley spent time with representatives from New York's North Country after Governor Hoku delivered her budget address Wednesday, and they say what really matters are the details of the 162-page proposal. The Democrat calls the budget thoughtful, progressive, and balanced. Our $227 billion budget will include unprecedented investments in areas that will make a positive impact in people's lives, that'll make the New York dream real, make it safer, more affordable, more livable. State Senator Dan Steck, a Republican representing the 45th District, is doubtful that the proposal promotes affordability. I don't know how she can talk about making it more affordable when her proposal for total spending is a $227 billion budget, you are up listening to, to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State year. government and politics. The and the Assembly will I'm likely try to push that number over $227 billion. The New York State Senate and this week passed a series times, of... New York's budget is more than Texas and Florida combined, and both Texas and Florida have more people than New York. So this budget does not make it more affordable for New Yorkers. Assemblyman D. Billy Jones, a Democrat from the 115th District, says there are some promising proposals, but the full budget needs to be closely examined to determine how it will impact North Country residents. The governor had said she's putting money into uh, child care. That's one of the biggest issues that I have heard Especially here, we are a child care desert up here in the North Country. We'll have to see what's in there and how that's going to affect residents here in the North Country and throughout the state. And I think she was extending the tax credit to help our farmers pay for these overtime wages. That's promising. But if there's one thing that I have learned from hearing budget proposals and then actually seeing what's in the budget is that uh, we should be a little leery and certainly find out what's going to actually affect families, affect residents that I represent. 
Matt Simpson represents the Assembly's 114th District. The Republican says there are good items, like funding for schools, mental health, and affordable housing, but thinks numerous items critical to the state's future miss the mark. Since I've been in the Assembly, the budget spending has risen over $50 billion. And in those three years, we still have a housing crisis, we have a workforce crisis, we have an overall affordability issue in New York, and people are at their breaking point. So we need a sustainable plan to deal with those issues. This is the 11th budget Senator Steck has reviewed during his time in both the Assembly and Senate. This year is the first time the Senate was in session during the governor's budget speech, something Steck perceives as an omen for budget negotiations. I thought it was very unusual that we were in session when the governor was giving her presentation. And I think that and the argument over Judge LaSalle I think that has created a lot of tension or bad blood between Senate Democrats and the governor in the fallout of that. And you certainly have the Senate Democrats flexing their muscles with the second floor. And I think it's shaping up to be probably a very contentious budget process. So I think everyone's probably, you know, preparing to, to buckle their chin straps here. I think this one is likely to be, a, you know, a hard fought or difficult budget process. The new fiscal year starts April 1st. There's more on Hochul's budget at WAMC.org. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. The New York State Senate this week passed a series of limousine safety measures, including a bill extending the committee that advised lawmakers in crafting the legislation. The Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard explains. Speaking alongside colleagues at the state capitol, Senate Democratic Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins heralded the seven new limousine safety bills. Our state will never be made whole from the horrific crashes of our past. But the least we can do is enact stronger regulations that will prevent these types of tragedies from happening in the future, while modeling first-rate safety protocols for other states and the federal government to follow. The bills increase penalties for limo operators who disobey safety inspections, enhance safety equipment and safety ratings, and require operators to deliver a pre-trip safety briefing to passengers, similar to when boarding an airplane. It's the latest attempt at reform in the wake of the October 2018 stretch limo crash in Schoharie that killed 20 people. Senator Michelle Hinchy, a Democrat who, before redistricting, represented Montgomery County, where many of those in the tragedy were from, detailed legislation she authored that would take old limousines off the road at either 10 years or 350,000 miles 
whatever comes first. To make sure that when you rent a limo and you and your friends or your family uh, choose to travel to wherever you may be in a limousine, it is the safest that it can be. It's been maintained uh, and uh, making sure that the old ones that have been on the road uh, that quite frankly should not be there anymore are being phased out appropriately. Another bill passed extends the operation of the special task force charged with reviewing safety rules for two years. The legislation passed by the Senate was crafted based in part by the recommendations from a spectrum of stakeholders. Democrat Tim Kennedy is the Senate Transportation Committee chair. They've had collaborative dialogues, not only internally, but with stakeholders across the state and across the nation, and are helping to inform the Transportation Committee and our conference on our efforts moving forward. One stretch limousine passenger safety task force member is Kevin Cushing who lost his son in the Schoharie crash. Cushing has worked with other victims' families to help pass new safety laws at the state and federal level. You know, you think you're, you're doing the right thing when you're, when you're working in a, on a commission and committee such as this. Um, and we're certainly opened up to comments for, from people outside of the committee to maybe, you know, have a better understanding of some of the things that we're doing that have, you know, consequences that we hadn't taken into consideration. So, you know, I'd rather have too much time than too little, so I'm, I'm fine with the two years. But the advocates are disappointed by Governor Kathy Hochul's veto this week of the Grieving Families Act. The bill that received overwhelming support from lawmakers would have updated New York's wrongful death statute and allow plaintiffs to receive emotional damages, let more family members seek compensation, and extend the statute of limitations. Hochul, a Democrat, in a Daily News op-ed detailed a counterproposal that would, quote, give parents of children who have tragically died in accidents the opportunity to seek meaningful accountability for their heart-wrenching loss, while for the time being exempting far more costly medical malpractice claims, end quote. But Cushing said the law needs to be updated according to the legislation easily passed last year. Those are horrible laws that we currently have in New York State, but incredibly regressive and unfair to people of color, women, children, and elderly. It's a terrible law on the books. It needs to be changed. Stuart Cousins said the Senate will continue to push for the change. You know, we will continue. I mean, we were hoping, obviously, that, that we would have it uh, signed. And, you know, we will continue to, to look at it. Meantime, many are still seeking answers as to why the limo in the Schoharie crash was allowed on the road. A long-anticipated Inspector General report, released in October, concurs with findings by the National Transportation Safety Board that the State Departments of Transportation and Motor Vehicles failed to use all available legal remedies to bring the company involved into compliance with state laws and regulations. Republican State Senator Jim Tedisco of the 44th District said he supports the new laws passed by the Senate, but took to the floor this week to call on the majority to hold hearings over potential state agency negligence in the 2018 crash. You can make all the accusations in the world. All I know is everybody who lost their life and every family member and every New Yorker in this state should know exactly what took place which led to this loss of life and this failure to have this vehicle on the road. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Lucas Willard.
And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2305. Or just listen online at wamc.org or schedule a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And join us again next week at this same time. For more news on New York State government and politics, for the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustino.